Just a heads up for you before today's commentary. It had probably been 15 years or even more since Ann and I visited Disney World. We actually lived in Florida when Disney World was first proposed, and we went by to see a mock-up of what it would look like. Our granddaughter now lives in Orlando, and so we decided to see Disney World while we were visiting her. It's still a magical place, particularly for children, with many upgrades over the years, but in my opinion, they are pricing themselves out of the market. We know that prices are up on everything, thanks to the Biden administration, and Disney World has followed suit. Let me share some things that might help you if you decide to visit Mickey Mouse. If you fly into Orlando, I recommend Mears Transportation to get you to your hotel. That's Mears, M-E-A-R-S. They were very dependable and the cheapest way in unless you want to go with the hassle of the shuttle. Next, your hotel. We stayed years ago at the Yacht Club, but they wanted more than $900 a night while we were there, and so we chose the Dolphin Hotel. It's in the Disney complex, but actually owned by Marriott. I don't recommend staying there. The rooms are cheaper than the Yacht Club and a few others. Still, though, they're over $300 a night, but they gouge you in other ways. In addition to your room rate, they tack on a $35 a day resort fee that is not disclosed before checkout. What do you get for that fee? Diddly squat. And don't call for room service unless you just struck oil. One morning, we ordered breakfast in the room. Listen carefully. Three bacon and egg biscuits and two soft drinks. What do you think it cost us for three bacon and egg biscuits and two soft drinks? The bill, $78. That's more than $22 per biscuit and $6 per soft drink. To be fair, they did deliver fairly quickly, but for $22 a biscuit, anybody would hustle up to your room. Disneyland park food is also very expensive. Take along some snacks and maybe even some sandwiches that won't go bad in the sun. We had two days of rain. Also, be prepared to see how much America's youth are out of control. We witnessed small kids slapping their parents and refusing to obey them. Those parents offered them candy instead of swatting their little rear ends. Of course, if you did that, they'd call the police on you. A five-year-old boy told his parents to go to hell in front of us. There was no discipline for that. My concern is for the parents who scrimp and save for years to be able to take their kids to Disney World or Disneyland. They're being priced out. They return home with horrendous credit card debt, which they have to pay off with 18% or more interest. Now that is goofy. Did you notice that when Joe Biden turned the border crisis over to his vice president, Kamala Harris, nothing happened. She never went to the border to see the crisis for herself. 
Instead, Harris has been flying around the world on the taxpayer's dime to meet with foreign leaders. You can bet that none of those leaders can wait to get out of the room with Harris. Why should they waste their time with a clueless cuckoo? They meet with her, of course, because of the power of the United States. If the Biden administration called ahead and sent Goofy from Disney World to meet with them, they would welcome Goofy. In this case, Kamala Harris is Goofy. At some point, even Democrats with a conscience have to admit that they did America no favor with the election of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. The Biden administration is filled with puppets whose strings are being handled by radical socialists. It seems apparent that Barack Hussein Obama is one of those puppet masters. But Obama must be given credit for trying to head off Biden from running for president. He told Biden, You don't have to do this, Joe. Obama knew that Biden was too inept for the job. But who else could the Democrats get elected? Bernie Sanders? No. Elizabeth Warren? That's a joke. Pete Buttigieg? Ocasio-Cortez? Their hayloft was as bare as the day the barn was fumigated. Any rational Democrat knew that Joe Biden was approaching senility and that he had never been a successful politician. Almost every decision he made was the wrong decision. After all, Obama chose Biden as his vice president because Biden could easily be kept out of the way and would never question an Obama decision. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to see what's happening to our country under Joe Biden. In less than a year, he has taken the United States from energy independence to dependence on the Middle East. The president of the United States is reduced to begging OPEC to pump more oil and bail him out. They continue to say, no, Joe. Get serious. If we follow the Democrats' lead, each illegal alien who was separated from a parent will receive hundreds of thousands of dollars from American taxpayers. But these people created their own problem. If they had not broken the law to come here illegally, they would never have been separated from children. And what message does this send to others who are seeking to come here illegally? The message is, make sure you get separated from your kids, and there is a big bonus awaiting from Santa Biden. Biden and the Democrats will do a lot of damage before voters can take the House and Senate away from them in 2022. Each person who voted for Biden, will have that on their hands. Of course, most did not vote for Biden. They voted against 
Donald Trump. That blind hate led us to the predictable chaos that we face today. The recent governor's race in Virginia showed that parents are becoming more aware of what their children are being taught in school, and they disapprove of it. No rational person is suggesting that parents should tell the schools what to teach. What parents should do, though, is tell the schools what not to teach. A five-year-old child does not need to be taught a subject like transgender, homosexuality, or incest. A class of six-year-olds should not be taken to a gay club. But these things are happening in many of our schools. In too many of our nation's classrooms, children are being taught that everything should be seen through the lens of race, a divisive and damaging worldview that negates the value of the individual American. Instead of reading our country's founding documents, students are being told that America was founded on fundamentally hateful and intolerant ideas. And they're being taught that the American dream is not for everybody. To make matters worse, most parents are unaware that these are the kind of lessons their kids are learning in school. While it's easy for parents to go online to access a school's financial data, school performance scores, graduation and dropout rates, enrollment processes, and more, there's one area that remains shockingly omitted, the educational content of a kid's learning in America's classrooms. For parents, it's just about impossible to know what lessons await their children when they go to school. And even though several states' laws explicitly grant parents the right to review the content used in their children's classroom, parents often have no practical way of exercising these rights, especially in advance of committing to a school for their child. Knowing what kids are learning in school has become especially important in recent years. Why is that? It's because political activists, with the backing of complicit school administrators, have been turning classrooms into hotbeds of indoctrination. Schools are casting aside lessons about our country's founding principles and replacing them with politically charged, divisive content. For example, over the past couple of years, thousands of schools across the country have implemented materials from the New York Times 1619 Project, an effort aimed to displace the historical significance of July 4, 1776, and reframe the United States as a slaveocracy rather than a democracy. The intended effect of these lessons and other imbued with the critical race theory worldview is to disabuse students of the notion that America was built on fundamentally good and decent ideals, and instead tell young Americans that the country is not theirs and not worth preserving. All of this is happening right under their parents' noses, and they have little recourse. When her daughter was entering kindergarten in a Rhode Island public school district, Nicole Solis wanted to know whether critical race theory 
or gender theory would be taught in her daughter's class. Rather than answer her questions, the school district instructed Nicole to submit formal public record requests. But when she did as she was told, not only did the district evade vast portions of her requests, they threatened to sue Nicole for submitting too many of them. Then they hit her with a bill for $74,000 to fulfill her request for information. The Goldwater Institute's team of litigators stepped up to help Nicole in her fight. Nicole said this, I was bullied by school administrators just for trying to find out what my daughter would be taught in kindergarten. This sort of information should be a government secret? All parents have a right to know what their kids are learning in school. Unfortunately, when parents ask basic questions like this, they are often met with these insurmountable barriers. But no public body, and especially our public schools, should obstruct access to public information by demanding onerous fees to receive that information. In fact, schools should simply have information about what the children will be taught and what informs the school's curriculum, easily available on request. The Goldwater Institute is right when it says that parents, not politicians or political activists, must be given the tools to navigate their children's education. One of those tools is knowledge, and they are leading an effort to appraise parents of what their children are learning so they can make well-informed decisions about their kids' educational experience. Goldwater's Academic Transparency Act would require each public school in a state to predominantly post on its website the learning materials and activities that are used for students' instruction at the school during the most recent completed school year. That would let parents have a more complete understanding of the lessons the school is teaching. And it enables parents themselves to judge the caliber and character of instruction awaiting their children before making a final decision on the school in which their child will be enrolled. If you are 50 years old or older, like me, it boggles the imagination that our schools would be teaching these radical subjects. Instead of teaching history, that subject has been relegated to the back room to make room for nonsense like critical race theory. Radical Democrats deny that critical race theory is being taught in our schools, but that's a bald-faced lie. They call it by other names to confuse parents, but rest assured that critical race theory is live and well in more of our schools than we care to count. Children are not born to hate. They come into this world completely unaware that there is a difference in the races. Young white children and young black children form relationships and friendships and study and play together before adults teach them to hate one another. I have said before that I attended a segregated school through graduation. 
It was certainly not my choice. I was a victim of the times. Still, I was not taught to hate people whose skin was a different color from my own. In October 1960, less than three months after my high school graduating class set out on their own, I joined the Navy. Although I had grown up on tenant farms where we mingled with black people, the Navy placed me in a squad of blacks and whites. We worked together, we played together, and learned to respect one another. I'm grateful for that experience. My daughter was not taught to hate black people, and she and husband Bob never taught our granddaughters to hate those whose skin was different from theirs. It's a cliché to say that I have black friends, but I do. That's built on mutual respect. If adults would butt out of our children's lives, black or white, and not carry this race problem forward, everybody would be better off. I can honestly say that I never knew what political party any of my teachers belonged to and never experienced a departure from what I should be learning to engage with my teacher's social theories. That's what our children should be able to say today. It is important for parents to be involved with their children's education. As hard as it is to believe, we have evidence of radical theories being taught in our children's schools. But don't be lulled into the belief that it can't happen to your child. Get involved. Know what they are being taught. And speak up if you encounter these radical theories. In the past, many parents just assumed that all was well in their child's school. They were busy. They had no time to be involved, but now all of that is changing as parents see where socialism has invaded our schools, why their children are being indoctrinated. Meaningful family involvement is a powerful predictor of high school achievement. Students attain more educational success when schools and families work together to motivate, socialize, and educate students. Students whose families are involved in their education typically receive higher grades and test scores, complete more homework, have better attendance, and exhibit more positive attitudes and behaviors. Children of involved families also graduate at higher rates and are more likely to enroll in post-secondary education programs. Research found that the academic benefits gained from family involvement with elementary school students continued through the middle and senior high school levels. Furthermore, studies have observed these positive outcomes regardless of students' ethic or racial background or socioeconomic status, noting that students at risk of failure have the most to gain when schools involve families. When families become involved in their children's education, they have a better understanding of what's being taught in school and teaching and learning in general. They gain more information about children's knowledge and abilities, as well as the programs and services offered by the school. Research has found that when parents are involved in their children's education, 
everybody benefits. Research has also found that when parents are involved, their confidence in their ability to help their children with classroom assignments increases, and they rate teachers higher in overall teaching ability. Educators benefit when family involvement is strong, as school staff gain awareness of the ways they can build on family strengths to support student success. As teachers understand more about students' lives, they're able to connect learning outside of the school to classroom learning in real and meaningful ways. The most common barriers to family involvement include lack of teacher time. Teachers often see working on family involvement as a task added to an already long list of their responsibilities. Next, lack of understanding of parents' communication styles. Some efforts at increasing involvement fail because there is a mismatch in the communication styles of families and teachers, often due to cultural and language differences. Then, teachers miss perceptions of parents' abilities. Some teachers believe that parents can't help their children because they themselves have limited educational backgrounds. However, Many poorly educated families support learning by talking with their children about school, monitoring homework, and making it clear that education is important and that they expect their children to do well in school. I can testify to that. My parents were born in 1922 and 1924 and lived through the Great Depression. For many reasons, they left school to work and help support their families. It was necessary. Although they had a limited formal education, they did have great common sense, and they insisted that their children behave in school, complete their homework, and obey the teachers. They stressed the importance of a good education, something that had been denied to them. Next, limited family resources. Lack of time is the major reason given by family members for why they don't get more involved. Lack of transportation and child care also keeps families from participating with the schools. Then, some parents feel intimidated and unwelcome at school. Many parents had negative school experiences themselves and are so unfamiliar with the American culture, that they do not want to get involved or feel unsure about what the value of their contributions would be. Barriers are also created by parents who have feelings of inadequacy or are suspicious of or angry at the school. Tension in relationships between parents and teachers is part of the problem. Parents and teacher focus groups conducted across the country as part of the Parents as School Partners Research Project identified common areas of conflict between parents and teachers. Parents felt that teachers waited too long before telling them about a problem and that they only heard from teachers when there was bad news. Most parents felt that they didn't have easy, ongoing access to their children's teachers and that teachers blamed parents 
when children had problems in school. Some parents felt unwelcome at school. They believed that schools didn't really want their input and thought communication was a one-way system with schools sending out information and parents having few, if any, opportunities to share ideas with the school. Teachers believed that parents didn't respect them, challenged their authority, and questioned their decisions. In the survey, they believed that parents encouraged students to disrespect them. Teachers resented that not all parents sent their children to school ready to learn and wanted to follow through more with the academic and disciplinary suggestions the teachers had made. Mobility also plays into the problem as well. Some urban areas have low rates of home ownership. Families that rent tend to move around a lot more, which makes it harder to build relationships between families and a school staff. I can testify to that as well. I've said that before I was 18 years old, we moved from rental house to rental house 36 times. 18 years old, 36 moves. Also, many families don't see the value in participating and don't believe that their involvement will result in any meaningful changes. Then there's the difficulties of involvement at the middle and senior high school levels, as adolescents strive for greater autonomy and separation from their parents. Families often live further from the school their child attends, and they are less able to spend time there. Although the benefits of family involvement are numerous and have been well documented, a review of the surveys found that family involvement programs were often not fully implemented for the following reasons. One, school staff had not been trained to work with families. Secondly, administrators and teachers worried that increased family involvement would add to their already busy schedules. Educators were concerned that closer relationships with families would mean giving up power and decision-making. And lastly, families were not sure how far they could go in making suggestions or asking questions of teachers. They worried that their children might be punished for their parents' actions by a teacher or principal who was annoyed or felt threatened by the parents. Perhaps this new awakening of parents to what their children are being taught in school will bring parents and teachers closer together. That is so badly needed in our schools today. Thanks for listening today. I'll be back again next weekend, God willing. Same time, same station. And God bless America.